Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shoney Queen. It's episode 205, a very special, very cathartic, hopefully, very something. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but it will be a podcast, uh, a post-draft podcast. Uh, Prez is not here with me today, but I am joined by Eric Reifer. I prefer pronouncing it as Reifer for obvious reasons. Uh, he is a contributor to Strickland. You can follow him at E underscore R-E-I-F on Twitter. He's a writer for the Strickland, as I mentioned. He also runs multiple fun mix accounts, uh, such as RJ Barrett Stats, Analytics, and are you also IQ Stats? You have Emmanuel Quickly Stats, too, right? No, that's not me, but shout out to that guy. Yeah, shout out to that guy. He's going to have, hopefully, a lot of fun next year. Well, before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. This Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Pod Strickland, but only on Fridays, the one that I do with Prez. That also gets you access to the Strickland Mailbag that is hosted every other week by Andrew Steele and a rotating guest of co-hosts, which was fun. There's also, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. I think we've concocted about 7,000 possible trade trades up in the draft to get Jaden Ivey. Some of which maybe we'll be talking about today on the pod. There's a nine doctor that gets you access to my podcast, my solo podcast, Trick and Roll, where I rant, rave, and yell about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley, Matthew Miranda, and others. Uh, other wonderful, wonderful authors we have uh, at Frank Barrett, Jeffrey Rasmussen. He wrote uh, an article recently, which was excellent on there. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast. One day yourself alongside yours. Truly, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. The Knicks, they had a draft yesterday. Uh, they drafted, as we all predicted, Trevor Keels at pick 42. Uh, no, look, who cares? Trevor <laughs> Keels is whatever. He's a guy. Um, but the Knicks had the 11th pick. They trade the 11th pick. Let's just do this by piece by piece. Okay. So they trade the 11th pick for a protected first, or three protected firsts from OKC. One is a protected first from Detroit. One is a protected first from Washington. And one is a protected first from Denver. They then parlay the Denver first in into a three-way trade with Charlotte and Denver or Charlotte and Detroit where they convert the Denver first into a Milwaukee first in 2025 that is one to four protection a lower protection than the 2023 first has and they also salary dump Kemba to Detroit and attach four second round picks to do so yep. so what were your thoughts on just like like now that we've had whatever however many hours a night to reflect on it what do you think about it now and what were you thinking in real time 
So I think, honestly, even now, less than 24 hours later, it's still kind of a, a hot take time period. Um, obviously, last night was the hottest of takes. I think my initial reaction, and, and probably most Knicks fans' initial reaction, was mostly colored by all of the reporting that was going on at the time, specifically around Jaden Ivey. I think generally the massive initial backlash to what the Knicks did last night is probably due to some sort of an expectation that apparently a lot of Knicks fans had um, that the team was going to trade up for Ivy, whether it was to four with the Kings, whether it was to five with the Pistons. I think once it came out that the Pistons had already taken Ivy and there was this crazy, I don't even know what it was, this crazy moment where everyone was just started reporting a million different things um, about where Jalen Duran was going to go. Um, Knicks and Pistons, everyone was talking about where he was going to go and that the Knicks were still in conversations with the Pistons. And then, okay, the Knicks have a trade with the Pistons. All of a sudden, everyone's like, oh my God, Jaden Ivey, they, they traded for him. And then when it turned out that that wasn't the case, I think that just kind of put a massive damper on collective Knicks Twitter and whatever they did after that just wasn't going to live up to whatever those heightened expectations, whether fairly or unfairly, were. So I think that's part of what made some of the hot takes last night um, so detrimental. In terms of where I'm sitting about it today, uh, I think you already did a, a thread on on this on Twitter, Schwinn, but I really kind of agree with your sentiment that, hey, you do really have to view this at the end of the day as kind of one massive transaction, what the Knicks did last night. Um, but if you are looking at a vacuum, in a vacuum, at the two separate deals, which is essentially the trading out of 11 for the three future protected picks, mm-hmm. and then the trading of the second rounders and Kemba Walker to Detroit. Definitely a much bigger fan of the former of those two trades than the latter of those two trades. And we can probably get into that in this conversation. But I think overall, the Knicks came out looking pretty good, honestly, uh, in terms of what they did yesterday. It definitely brings back the thoughts of, hey, we know what the priorities of Leon Rose in this front office is. They did a similar thing, actually, in the draft Last year, right? I I believe they came in with a couple of earlier picks around 19, 21, right? They ended up trading back to select Quentin Grimes at 25, and they got future picks as well. I believe that actually turned into Cam Reddish, right? So this is a a classic case of this front office punting down the line. Uh, uh, Current picks for future picks when they just don't like who's on the board, clearing cap space, and again, keeping that arsenal of picks for the potential trade, which I guess is, is going to come eventually for a star. Yeah, so I think there's a few things at play here. One, I think we can say this now with a certain level of confidence. I don't know what confidence interval, to use a nerd term, you would want to assign to it. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, like, this front office – and forget the front office. We can just talk about the draft very specifically. They yeah. – have very rigid values, it seems like, based on what we've seen. Like, if they do not think the value is there at a certain range, they will trade out. And that might mean they don't maximize the return, because last year they traded 19 for a protected one straight up, which they eventually turned into Cam Reddish. 
21, they traded down for, I think, a couple of seconds. They got to 25, they take Grimes, whatever. But the point is, if they don't like the, if they don't like the value at a certain range, they will trade out. If they yep. like the value at a certain range, but they think they can get the player they want at a later pick, they will trade down, even if the return is very minimal, right? It's 21 to 25. I think they got, they picked up two seconds or something for that. Like, not some yep. heavy return. There's obviously some risk entailed there that maybe somebody knows you want Quentin Grimes and they jump you, whatever. They played the hand and they got the guy they wanted. But the point is, they followed their board very, very rigidly, which leads me to believe that they viewed Jaden Ivey as a, like the range after Jaden Ivey. I'm guessing, this is a complete guess, but this is based on how they have operated. They must have seen a steep drop off because they were willing to, we don't know exactly the details yet, but from all how the reporting happened, it seems they were willing to offer quite a bit to get Jaden Ivey, right? Yep. I, I think that they made that trade at 11 to get those picks to throw back into a trade for Jaden Ivey, one of them being a Detroit pick, by the way. So that's effectively giving Detroit back control of their own first, which has a lot of value. That obviously didn't get the deal done. But the point is, they viewed that as a steep drop-off. And such a steep drop-off that they were not interested in keeping it staying in the draft. Because if you look at the way the transactions happen, they could have kept two of those first and traded to 13 and picked somebody. Yeah. And yeah. if they had done that, and let's say they take A.J. Griffin, who I think a lot of people wanted... If they had done that, I think the reactions to what they did would be completely different today. And so what that tells me is not that this is not about did they get enough value. It is about how as fans, and I feel this way too, like so I'm not I, I hope anybody listening to this doesn't think I'm talking down. You have a shitty season. The hope at the end of a shitty season is what? You have this lottery pick. And hopefully it doesn't matter if it jumps. It doesn't matter if it moves down a spot. It doesn't matter if it stays exactly where it was. The hope is a lottery pick can turn into a player that fundamentally alters or changes your team for the better. Like So when in real time you go from, oh my god, we're getting Jade and Ivy, to, oh my god, we're trading out of this draft entirely, and also we're salary dumping Kemba in the process... Yeah, that I think is the bigger problem is not like like if they just were going to pick someone at eleven and then trade out of the draft entirely. I don't think there would be as sour reactions to your point. Like I think Knicks fans went from thinking they're going to get a top five talent to getting literally nothing, and that is it's tough. tough. It's, it's tough to it's, process it's, in real yeah. time, especially the way the draft is covered now. Like you can't. It's almost impossible. I think it took hours to get. I mean, the, the, the reporting on this, really the, the reporting on this was completely irresponsible. Like, like I, I got, I just got to say that I thought it was a joke the way that this was reported. This is the problem when you have fifteen people all trying to be the first one to report a deal. You had about fifteen, like you know, Mark Stein got his cracks in, and all these fucking losers got their cracks in. Oh, ha, ha. the Knicks traded a first to dump Kemba Walker, and really, like you, like. I, we were talking about this in the Discord, and like you can, accounting is a funny thing, right? Accounting, like you can make profits look like losses, you can make losses look like profits. Like the way you balance numbers on a balance sheet, it, it's all like a very big trick. So, like if you want to technically say the Knicks traded a first to get off Kemba Walker, you can say that. But ultimately, the Knicks started off the night with eleven. They exited with three firsts. 
That is not trading a first to get... And, and in the move to dump Campbell Walker, yes, they exchanged one of those firsts for another first. That is not losing yes, a first. They traded, they traded down in the first round to get off Campbell Walker, is what they did. Right? Exactly. Essentially. Yes. And yes. traded forward. So if, if, if you think about like present time value of money, you know, nerd shit, um, it's a future pick too, which technically is a little bit less valuable than a current pick. So they trade, they kicked the can down the line and most likely traded down in the draft to get off Kemba Walker. And I'm sure we'll get into whether we like that move or not, but that's what it is. Um, There's a few different ways that you mentioned people are talking about this. Oh, they traded four second rounders to get off Kemba Walker. And also, and to be fair, like, I don't think it's wrong for, like, people can view it how they want to view it. I, I don't think it's wrong. If you feel some type of weight about it and you view it as like they traded, like I get that point of view. But just to me, looking at it from an like, what did the Knicks come into the draft with, and what did they exit with? They came into the draft with eleven and the four seconds and Kemba Walker's contract. They exited the draft with three future firsts. Mm-hmm. They didn't take a player at eleven. They lose Kemba Walker and they lose four seconds. So some total is their plus two firsts. And they're minus four seconds, and they're minus Kemba Walker's contract, and they're plus nine million in cap space, whatever the yeah. more than that, thirteen million in cap space, I think. Um, so, like, that's the that's the total of it all. It doesn't matter that you want to argue the specifics of it. I don't care. I don't want to get lost in that minutia because I don't think that's the point. I, I want to say this though. What I find uninspiring about this is, what is your goal as a franchise, right? Like in any sport. Not just any, forget any sport. In basketball or anything, like the goal is ultimately to win a championship, to feel the competitive team that has a chance of winning a championship. Okay. And I have, I'm not somebody who thinks you got to tank to do that. You got to fucking suck ass. And that's the only way to get a contender. Like that's proven time and time again to not be true at all. Yep. Um, it's like, I mean, honestly, you could argue that most, the teams that have engaged in tanks have been less successful than teams that are kind of like, just I would actually agree with that, by the way. Yeah, I think I think there's value to just figuring it out. What I have an issue with is if you're clearing cap space to effectively make a run at a free agent who I think it's safe to say this, at the very least, whether they get him or not, they have intel, this next front office, for very obvious reasons, they have intel mm-hmm. that Jalen Brunson is in play for them, okay? I don't mind that. I don't mind doing that, okay? This is something Miami does all the time, and everybody fucking sucks their dicks, right? Oh, Pat Riley, the godfather, fucking Miami, they always make shit happen. Fine, great, wonderful, great for them. The Knicks, it is fine to do this. I have an issue, and I want to get your thoughts on this because I think you might have a different opinion of him than a lot of people, and including myself. I have an issue with this because I don't think doing this for the caliber of player that Jalen Brunson is, is a move that furthers your pursuit in a meaningful way of eventually fielding a contending team. Now, maybe I can't see the sequence properly. You know, Jeremy Cohen of Nick Film School and the Strickland, he has done way too much thinking about Jalen Brunson in his life. Yes. Uh, like, way too much. Uh, but his argument, effectively, to boil it down to a very basic thing, is Jalen Brunson helps you be a better team now. Jalen Brunson also is a contract that you can use 
to in in the service of eventually landing the caliber of star that you need. Okay, I understand that argument. I personally don't like betting on the sequence like that, but to the credit of this front office, to some extent, if they land Brunson because of the picks they have now, they have eleven first available to them to trade in over the next seven years, including their own, and eleven seconds, including their own. Because of this, like now if you're building a package around Jalen Brunson, good player, plus picks, like that could like do you get like like is that something that you buy into or do you view this more as like if you get Jalen Brunson, just view it for getting Jalen Brunson and what that means to your team? And I guess like what are your thoughts ultimately on getting Jalen Brunson versus what I would have preferred they done, which is simply to start Emmanuel quickly a point guard. So a few different things to break apart there. I've I've followed Jeremy Cohen's stuff extensively. He's the best in the business. Um, he is very into the tradable contracts idea, which which definitely works. I think it's hard. It's also definitely a thing that like work. it's also definitely a thing front offices do. Like yes. that, that is definitely a thing that front offices care about and and you know bake into like their planning. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, really, what I'm thinking though is how much of the calculus is that really? Like mm-hmm. when you make a move to clear cap space for someone that you don't even know is going to sign. Like this is this is two steps back from if if they signed a Jalen Brunson last night, we can have the the conversation of okay, how much of this is how much this guy helps the team now versus how much of this is he's going to be good enough that you can trade him for the next guy. We're not even there yet. This is okay. We're we're shedding salary to be able to potentially sign this guy who can maybe help our team and also can maybe. So there's just 17 different steps that you have to follow here, which you know I think it makes it really difficult to make an assessment of what the goals are of the front office with a move like this, specifically the move to shed Kemba's contract. And I know there have already been. Uh, reporting about the Knicks are trying to shed Alec Burks. They're trying to shed Nerns Noel, blah, blah, blah. So they're, they're clearly trying to to clear cap space. And the name that keeps coming up is Brunson. But again, you never know what the alternatives are there. So they're shedding cap yeah, space. I mean, they, they, have they cap could space get Brunson, but then what happens if you don't get Brunson? You just have $25 million in cap space? Like, I'm sure there's I, – I hope there's some sort of alternative that well, they I have. Well, I think we know. We, 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 I think we kind of know some of their alternatives, right? We know that – I think we know that Malcolm Brogdon is an alternative, right? Yep. I think we know that actually we don't know this, but I do like we know that there's some consideration in San Antonio of you know, seeing what's out there for DeJounte Murray. Not not like there's no tend to there, there's no like push to trade him right now, but I like these rumors of like they're listening, they don't come from nowhere. Right, like they, they, they're at least they're not going to shut you down if you call and you make an offer. They might shut you down after they listen to the offer, but they're not going to shut you down before you make the offer. I think it's fair to say. Where I feel about all this, and I, this is my hot take, I think Jalen Brunson is a better fit in almost any lineup for almost any competitive team than Dejounte Murray. That's my hot take. Um, it's not the spiciest take I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, I think people would. Most people would push back on. I don't know. Dejounte just 
these on-ball guards that don't have off-ball shooting equity just do very, very little for me. Um, like, one thing I learned, or I tried, I think I learned from the Julius Randle roller coaster is if you have a great individual season, and Julius Randle had a great individual 2020-21 season. There is no taking that away from him. But your team's offense still sucks. And, like, it's easy to say the Knicks didn't have enough shot creation, the Knicks didn't have enough that, and some of that is true. The Knicks were also the second-best three-point shooting team in the league uh, in 2020-2021. Like, if your offense is still at the bottom of the barrel, I think that says something about you, your one, viability as a first option. And then, two, I think it also needs to necessitate, necessitate the next question, which is, okay, you're not a number one option. How do you fit as how can you scale down your usage to play in a good offensive system as a second or third option? Do you have a skill set that can alter your usage to more off ball equity? Yes. And I think we found out Julius Randle may not, or may, may, may is doing a lot of work there. I don't think he does. Um, and that ultimately is my concern with somebody like DeJounte Murray, who had this wonderful individual season. Ultimately, the King or the, the Spurs, they were 18th in offensive rating. That's better than the Knicks, but it's thoroughly meh. You know, like it's not yep. it's not anything great. So I think that says something about him as a player. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into DeJounte Murray weeds. To go back to Brunson. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I'm, I'm a fan of his game. I wouldn't be a fan of acquiring him for this mix team. And I think the price is going to be crazy for him. Like For what he's worth. I mean, yeah, if they were giving him to us for free, then of course. But Yeah, yeah. if, you, if they just give it to you, cool. Like, But yeah. that's not how it's going to work, obviously. Um, but like if – so to go back to Brunson, um, do you view this tr- – like do, if they sign Brunson with the cap space they've created – does that change at all your evaluation of what was done on draft night? Like, does that, do you think that should count as part of the trade or is it entirely separate to you? Um, I, I try to keep those things separate, to be honest. Um, like thinking back to the Porzingis trade, right? They, they cleared all this cap space for the opportunity to sign Kevin Durant. They thought they had Intel that they could potentially sign Kevin Durant. Very similar situation. They don't end up signing Kevin Durant, and then they end up going on this splurge of contracts where, probably don't need to get into this, but however you felt about that power forward offseason, whatever it was, um, it was a mixed bag. Should that impact the judgment of the Porzingis trade itself? I think no, or at least mostly no. Um, so I think you kind of have to judge the trade in the vacuum of when it occurs, you can be swayed a little bit by the outcome, like, oh, look, they, they had until they were going to get Brunson. This confirms it. You know, I, I can see taking that into account, but I think for the most part, you have to kind of judge the trade uh, when it occurred. Yeah. So I, I guess, like, my issue with – and then this is my other thing with Brunson. I actually think – so there's a world where I think Brunson is really – even if you're, you overpay him, right? Like, So let's say the Knicks have to give him four – Let's call it 110, because I think everyone would agree that, to some extent, that's an overpay. Um, if they give him 4 110, whatever the contract is, I think there's a world where he really, him and RJ really play off of each other well. 
Um, I think both of them benefit from playing next to somebody else who can also get into the paint. Um, and I think that would benefit both of them. So I think there's a world where that works really well. But what getting Brunson does, and this is where, to me, this entire sequence of what they've kicked off here, this is where it has to come together, is we have lived in, we lived in this limbo last year of, like, we have these vets who we paid who need to play, but we also have this group of young guys who basically every fucking metric that is out there, every nerd impact metric that is out there, which is, like, screaming... Play Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin more. Play Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin more. Play like that's like what these things are. And then if you just look at like what Quentin Grimes showed you or what a Deuce McBride showed you, and even what a I mean, maybe more so than Deuce, what Jericho Sims showed you, like play these guys more minutes. Play these guys more minutes. Like they're showing you something and they are young. They have the capacity to improve, right? That's the best part of young players, is you can benefit if they're helping you win now, that's great. But that's not even the bet. That's not even the great part of it, right? It's like the great part is like they can help you win in the future now because of the reps they're getting now. So, like, we lived in this limbo where we had these guys that we wanted to see more and we didn't get enough of it because of the vets. If you sign Brunson, I think you have to move off Derrick Rose. And I think, like, if you want the fan base to eventually come around on what you've done here, and I, I do think this should be part of the equation because you do not want to start a season where the entire fan base is piling into MSG and they're already like ready to scream about why the fuck is Evan Fournier playing 35 minutes a night over Quentin Grimes? Why the fuck is Julius Randle still here? Why the fuck are XYZ things happening? You do not want that shit happening. You do not want that feeling in the building. Because I, I, I'm sure you remember this. The start of that 2019-20 season was like miserable. Because not only did you not get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, or which, by the way, maybe it was a very good thing, uh, but but like not only did you not get these stars that you wanted to get, but you also had this shitty product you were putting out there where the coach was terrible. You had all these vets that you had signed getting minutes. R.J. Barrett is marginalized. You're not playing your young guys that you did have on the roster at that time, which whatever, however you feel about them, like Kevin Knox, Frank, or whatever. Like, they were not getting minutes. It's just, like, what are you doing, right? Like, what what is the path here? What are we showing? I think you can feel good about it. Like, I, as a fan, I don't like what they did. I or not. I, I don't, I'm uninspired by what they did. I think the value overall is fine, but I'm uninspired by what they did. I don't love Jalen Brunson. I don't love going out and signing him, whatever. I can still be okay with this and feel good about this and believe the Knicks have avenues to genuinely improve moving forward if they get rid of one of Alec Burks or Evan Fournier at the least. If they trade off of Derrick Rose, who I like, but who, if you get Jalen Brunson, you can't have that, dude. You cannot have Tom Thibodeau trying to balance Brunson, Rose, and Emmanuel quickly. Like, Do not put this man in that position where he's incapable of doing so. You have to, like, and I think this this is the biggest one for me. I have zero desire to watch a team with Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and R.J. Barrett. That team will fucking suck to watch so much ass because of, like, so much of Brunson's value while you'd be acquiring him is what he does for you as a shot creator. Like, he's a great inside-the-arc scorer. That's something the Knicks desperately need. And so to that 
very specific point, I understand the logic of adding somebody like Jalen Brunson, who I'm pretty sure about this. Among like players who averaged over 12 or whatever, 15 drives per game last year, I'm almost positive he was second in field goal percentage after one Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he's been he's been doing this for years, by the way. Yeah, yeah he's a great finisher somehow. Obviously, um, now he's this big, massive target, and everyone knows him. He had a good playoff run. I remember a year and a half ago or so, there were Strickland talks about like, oh, you know, who's an under the radar guy that really fits and like is an amazing finisher, Jalen Brunson. I um, I actually I I remember tweeting out in the middle of the 2020-21 season where I was like, I would trade Dallas back their 23 pick for, for yeah. Jalen Brunson. And a lot of people were like, why would you do that? I'm like, I think Jalen Brunson's good. Like, is that a good reason? <laughs> um, but whatever. That's cares, no. <laughs> but whatever, that's not the point. Uh, but like, they, uh, yeah, like, so, so Brunson adds something to the mix. The point is though, like, you need to get off of Randall. And I think like, like one thing I respect about what they did with the Kemba thing is we I think there's been legitimate concerns about can this front office pay the cost when they make a mistake and just own it. Like just own it and get the fuck off of it, right? And the Kemba Walker contract was a mistake. And we can sit like I think if you want to sit there and criticize them for like, hey, you said these contracts are tradable and now you're giving out assets to get off of them, that's a fair criticism to have. But I would rather criticize them for that than to sit there and be like why the fuck haven't you traded Kemba? Why the fuck have you traded Kemba? Why haven't you traded Kemba? Like, I would rather just them own the mistake and get off of it. At a certain price, by the way. Not, like, if they had to include a first to get off Kemba, I would have been like, just keep Kemba, maybe? Well, I mean, owning an, OT, owning an $18 million mistake is different from owning yes, a $25 million mistake. And so, and so, to that end, what I would say is this. I don't think there's any world where you are going to be able to move Julius Randle into somebody's cap space for four seconds or something like that. This is not going to happen. Can you as a front office like accept that Julius Randle, the 2020-21 season, as great as it was, that was the mirage. That was not, that's not him. That is not going to happen again. He's not that guy. And the vast majority of evidence of his career would suggest he's not that guy. That doesn't mean he's a bad player, but he's not the player that that season portended. And if I'm the Knicks, like, I think that you have to calculate, you talked about uh, time value of money, right? One thing that is undervalued in discussing, like, the value of trading Randall is this. You drafted Obi Toppin eighth overall two years ago. You are burning down his contract and not getting enough information on him and not giving him a chance as a, as a power forward or in a high minutes role, whatever, the longer you keep Randall here. And that is part of the value of trading Julius, is opening up a pathway for Obi to more minutes. And like to that end, I mean, if they literally had to take back, if they had to go to Dallas and they were like, we will take on Davis Burton's shitty contract and some other bullshit salary match, plus a couple of seconds, and you can get Julius Randle, so be it. Like, I I do not care what minimal return they get. They need to move off of his contract. And I don't care if that, like, I'm not even saying for cap space. They just need to get back something, like a dead salary, if need be, and, and do it. Like, Portland is still out there. What, they, they still got that Eric Bledsoe contract that the OG trade didn't happen. If it didn't happen yesterday, 
I feel like it's probably not going to happen, period. Mm-hmm. Do they want... We'll give you Julius Randle for Eric Bledsoe's contract and fucking, I don't know, Keon Johnson or a few seconds or whatever the hell they have to trade, right? Like, can you just accept that mistake and move on? Like, do you, like so that's what I think they should do. What do you, like, do you agree that that maybe just is the best path forward? And do you think, or, or, and do you think that if that is the best, like, if that is the best value for them at this moment in time for Julius, that they should keep him? Yeah, I have this theory that the Knicks just, as an organization, just never know how good Julius Randle is at any given point of time. How good <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I've been continually baffled by this dynamic because they had Julius Randle, right? And then there's this incredible offseason where apparently, oh, he puts in all the work and he's just in incredible shape and he just looks like a different player, right? Um, and that's the same offseason that they spend the eighth overall pick on Obi Toppin, who the organization clearly thinks can't play with Julius Randle at all. Um, and then after that season, by the way, Julius Randle goes out and has this all NBA year. And again, the front office has a decision to make and they're saying, okay, let's evaluate how good is Julius Randle, right? Do we give him another year to prove it? Or is this who he is? And we lock him in now and they lock him in now. And next thing you know, next season he comes out and he puts up an absolute stinker. Did you, I, I just, did you I don't understand. I just never know how good he is. Did you agree with extending him when they extended him? I'm just curious. I don't remember. what you're saying. I, I did. I did. Um, I, I couldn't have foreseen what happened last season. I don't think any fans really could have, but the one, not one person, but if anyone can do a really good evaluation of, is this Julius Randle for real? What do we expect to see next season? It should be the Knicks front office. So clearly they were surprised by what they saw last season. Um, yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to assume that because otherwise they would have just let him prove it, and he would have made nowhere near the amount of money he's making now. So, do you think they should like? If so, if I didn't answer your question. I didn't answer your question. Do I think they should move Julius Randle? Obviously, it comes down to what the return is. As always, um, I think. So, if the return was literally like Portland is like, we will just give you Eric Bledsoe and some other expiring contract to just match the salary, and that's it. You, you know, maybe I would I would feel okay about that as a fan because of just what I've seen on the court. I think what he did with his body language and his play last season on both ends of the court was pretty inexcusable um, as someone who's supposed to be the leader of the team. So from that emotional perspective, I'm saying just get off him at, at any cost, uh, which probably isn't the right thing to do in the measured approach that a front office should take. I think it is possible that, hey, this is the lowest his value is going to get. Like, I think there's definitely a pretty good universe. There's reason to believe that he'll be much better next season. Do I think there's reason to believe that he'll return to his 2021 form? No. To your point, I think that is gone. That is peak Randall. I think next season, though, there's no reason to believe that last season wasn't Valley Randall, right? So I think there are arguments that you can keep him, see what happens, um, and then maybe trade him at the deadline or next season or, or whatever it may be. Now that may be disappointing to hear. Uh, I think from an organizational perspective, I know you've talked about this on the pod and I agree with it. You kind of have to move him or Tibbs at this point. Um, 
and they are not like. I feel like you had the chance to move Tibbs last year. All the reporting suggests that like Dolan was gave them like the the purview to hey mm-hmm. look if you guys want to move this guy if you want to fire him go for it like I'm not gonna stand in your way and we know James Dolan is not you know he's many things he he's never been a stickler about firing a head coach you know like that's usually yeah. not a huge sticking point for him so I think it's safe to say they had that opportunity I am okay with them deciding that they want to give Tibbs another chance but you know Tibbs's strengths and weaknesses as a coach like they're well established at this point he's a longtime guy he's a long track record in this league we know what he likes we know what he doesn't we know what he's good at we know what he's not good at like you can't you you cannot bring Randall back into this mix and like you know one of the things in sports in general right and not in just sports but like in any organization really is you always need to be looking to evolve right like you always need to be looking to like how can how do we move this team forward how do we change what we're doing for the better how do we push this team to the next level um you know i think like golden state is the peak example of this kind of in how they have found ways to evolve their team and that has involved a lot of a lot of fucking money going out the door but like it's also involved them taking risks and playing asset games really like that's what they did right they they played a game in getting d for kd they actually people forget this they actually attached a protected first in that trade so they mm. took a risk um they turned d into wiggins and a first like they played this entire game and they looked that that was part of why they won the championship this year so like you have to always look to evolve your team and that involves risks that involves taking calculated risks Last year, that calculated risk was we're going to sign these contracts that we don't think are onerous that we can move if need be. Now, the evidence suggests at least one of those contracts was onerous. I tend to think Kemba was by far and away the worst of those contracts, given whatever the fuck we saw from him last year. Um, but like, I, I don't like applying that to Burks, who I think is a. I mean, we've talked about this. He's a net positive player. Um, and I think Burks is by far the best of those contracts. Like, far, I, no way. I think Burks is the best non-rookie scale contract on the team by far. Yes, I would like, also agree with that. Yeah, I don't think it's close. I think Rose, like, even with his injury history, I promise you, there's a team that will be like, yeah, a couple of seconds, no doubt. We'll throw that. We'll throw that your way. You know, like, I don't think that's an issue. Um, especially like the structure of these contracts actually helps for players like Burks and Rose because teams will look at them as like when they're healthy and when they're available, they can help us um, because you get to you, like, you have a contract here right now. And then you also like, if they suck, you're out of the contract. If they're good, you opt in and you get full bird rights at the end of that. If that helps you. Right. Yeah. So like there's value to that stuff. Um, so those two, I'm not worried about. Noel is tricky. Like I Feel like there's. I know you're the, you're the Noel defender. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to make that my brand or anything. But let's but like, see what you have to say. <laughs> but like, like I think there's a world where, like, as frustrated as I get with Nerlens, he's really only been injured this past year. Like, if you look at his previous five years, he's been pretty healthy. You know, he's he's been fine, and he's been like a solid, but non spectacular contributor to to playoff rotations, right? Like, this is not, like, a terrible player. I and mean, it's not this a- is, and this is the last I'll say on him, 
He's your favorite he player. He was essentially the starting center in a center-dependent scheme for a top-five defense over the course of a season. Yeah, and for the last half, the back half. Pretty much yeah. what it was. Yeah. So I, I think, like, there is value to him. And, and I, when I say that, I don't mean, like, they're going to get assets necessarily, but I do think a team like, look, Toronto, they still don't have a center. Right, they're they don't have a they don't have a rim protecting center anyway. They were interested in at, at the deadline a little bit. Maybe there's a deal there. Maybe there's a team like, um, you know, I, I think Utah is a trade exception. They don't have a backup five. I would imagine that they're not. They they would be okay with moving on from the wonderful Hassan. But these are marginal moves, right? These aren't these aren't like yeah, let's change the complexity of yeah. the New York. Knicks. Randall, yeah, Randall, like. Randall, like Ro, like that though. Rose and Burks and Noel are like moving off of them is kind of like doing spring cleaning. You know, nothing crazy. You're just sprucing up your place, making sure it looks good, getting some shit out that you didn't need that you collected, yeah. moving some shit in that you want to replace it with. Normal, normal off season kind of house cleaning stuff. Randall is the big one, and I just think that like if you can just get off of his contract. You know, forget Bledsoe is obviously a nice one because it's an expiring. But even if it is like a Davis Bertans who is two years then a partial guarantee and a third, just fucking do it, man. Because I promise you, Davis Bertans comes to training camp. Tibbs is gonna look at him for about one minute and he's gonna be like, "You're <laughs> never, you're never playing. Like you're never playing. That's fine." And that's that that's fine. Like that serves our purpose and it should serve the front office's purpose because not just Obi Toppin, right? Let's not forget Obi Toppin benefits from it. Cam Reddish, who they traded a protected first four benefits from it. Because he is a player who plays at three and he plays at the four. And that like they need to get minutes for him. And if so if this what they did yesterday, if part of their calculation was the rookie that we would have drafted, he's likely not to get minutes because we like our young guys as is. He's not going to get enough minutes over them. So we don't want to burn that contract right now. Like then I can believe that's part of your logic if you do these things. If you clear minutes and pathways into the team for these guys, then I can get on board with like like if you, like I can get on board with Jalen Brunson then. You know, like I can get on board with doing what you've done and and getting on board with like the idea of kicking the can down the road, which I it, it that kind of feels like uh a backhanded compliment when I don't know if that's fair. Like, I, I feel like there's more to what they're doing than that. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA finals? With a DraftKings same game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. 
See show notes for details. I think it's more more than saying like it's not like an OKC thing where OKC is just wanting to stockpile as many future picks as possible, and they don't care if they're good if they're not good until twenty thirty one. Like they literally don't care. They just want to maximize the championship window within a specific window. That's not what the Knicks are doing. What the Knicks are doing, seemingly, I'm not in their front office. Maybe one day, they're just continually saying, "Okay, we haven't traded for the star yet." Once the mystery box is opened, <laughs> it's immediately less valuable, right? In, in terms of once you so make the draft selection, um, you need to keep kicking the can down the road. And so now you can do the thing where you say, oh, yeah, we have Jalen Brunson and four future first round picks. Just sounds way sexier. And I think that's honestly <laughs> the reason why they're doing it. I'm like actually serious. No, and I look, I even, we talked about this a little bit last night at like, one thirty in the morning in Discord, but like, if look, you have these four future first round picks, right? Whatever these protected first you got from other teams. What does like? And let's think about this, right? What what was Drew Holiday acquired for for Milwaukee? For Milwaukee, right? They gave up three firsts, which effectively were considered very limited value at the time, right? Because you're getting Giannis because you have Giannis already, and they'd already been like a top three record team, I think, for the first for the previous two seasons. So like there's already this kind of established high baseline of this is what this team is with Giannis, because Giannis is that dude. Um it was three first and it picks off an Eric Bledsoe's contract um for fucking um for Drew Holiday. What does Julius Randall and Ford Future Protected first get you? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm curious to find out. I wonder if it would get you something decent. Like, I wonder if there's a world where Charlotte is sitting there with Miles Bridges and they don't seem super enthusiastic about giving him a contract. Is that one where you're like, hey, look, we'll give you Julius and these four protected verse for signing a trade for Miles? Is that something you consider if you're the Knicks? I don't know. I mean, I know that there's some positional overlap with him and Obi, but I got to say, man, if you are trying to shift this team into a more modern look, would wouldn't Miles and Obi as a four and five at times be fun as fucking hell? Like, you know, like I don't know. Like, I'm just throwing out a name, but I do think like, what does Randall and four protected first? You know, what does that do? Like, what? what, I think what it gets the but this comes back to the previous conversation where I think the value of Julius Randall around the league is higher than the value that Knicks fans currently put on him because Knicks fans watched him every game this past season and just a massive disappointment. I, I think other fans of other teams and other front offices realize that he had a disappointing season, but they're not as keyed into the day to day as people who follow the Knicks are. And this isn't a, this isn't specific to Randall. This is anytime there's a trade where someone needs a change of scenery, right? That's a classic, that's a classic phrase. Like this dude was literally all NBA. Like tw- was it like, 12 months ago, maybe 13 months ago. Like, think about that. That That's something that actually happened. <laughs> Julius Randle was second team all NBA. That graphic is like, it's like the Thaddeus Young graphic. It's like he was literally second team all NBA next to like LeBron James and Steph Curry. It, it, it makes no sense thinking back, uh, but that's, that's who he is. So, I mean, a guy like that who had a down season with four first round picks, I think that's you something. Uh, very good. Very good. Maybe better than Miles Bridges. I don't know. Uh yeah, like I I like 
I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't disagree. I just like, I just wonder, you know, like I, I wonder what that gets you because to me, it's like at some point you need to, if we believe in this young core, then we have to invest on the court on them. And that goes beyond like clearing cap space for Jalen Brunson. I mean, like genuinely giving, like putting your trust in them by opening up the rotation for them. And that is ultimately like, you know, that's ultimately what I think this offseason needs to be about. Because it, to some extent, when you're not draft, when you punt on 11, and yeah, you got value for it, right? That's so, punting is probably the wrong word. But when you trade in 11 for these future picks, part of that logic to me has to be like, well, we believe in our young guys that are already on the roster and we don't want to bury somebody else behind them. Okay. I, so I then, want to think that. I want to think that, but sometimes I struggle with the front office's evaluate. I don't want to say the front office, the organization evaluation of the young players. Um, I'm not super, super confident in, I have to say. We talked about the Julius Randle thing. They, they never know how good Julius Randle is at any given point of time. Uh, the fact that Emmanuel quickly has never been a consistent starter for this team is absurd. The fact that Obi Tobin was averaging 10 minutes a game for this team was absurd. There are multiple examples um, of this, Quentin Grimes, whatever. Um, he could have played more. He was pretty awesome once he played. Little things like that. Uh, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think in many cases they do deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I think as a whole, to, step, to take a huge step back, on the whole I think this front office has been good. If not great, they've been good, and they've been much better than obviously previous Knicks front office iterations have been. But I, they're at least, they're I at least like struggle to say. I kind of struggle to say. Okay, now this team, this is the same team that that traded a first round pick for Cam Reddish and and didn't play him. Now, regardless of what you think about Cam Reddish, I'm personally not a huge fan of his. But regardless of what you think, that shows there is a certain amount of schism within that front office on the evaluation of many of the players. And that's natural, but it's hard to say that, okay, this, the, the organization has huge faith in their young players, which is why they're punting and clearing cap space for Jalen Brunson. Well, like that, that, and, but like, the, I guess my point is you show that faith by your moves this off season. So like even forgetting Randall, because I think Randall, you could fairly make an argument that we'd be like, well, it was just too, there was no good trade to move him. Okay. If they, if they make an attempt and that that's put out there, I can kind of understand that. But like, they have to get rid of one of Burks or Fournier. They have to get rid of Noel, or they have to not play Noel. They have to get rid of Derrick Rose if they get Jalen Brunson. Like, whatever they do, if they even though if they get Brunson, if they get Brogdon, if they, whatever vet point guard they bring in, they have to move off Derrick Rose. They have to make moves that ensure your young guys play minutes. And um, if they don't do that, then this is a complete clusterfuck to me. Like, part of the problem we had last year was there was already issues with finding minutes for everybody. So you already knew that was a problem, right? Like, that was already part of the issue. You can't run it back. Running it back is not an option. Running it back, is that is hoarding. That is overvaluing what you have and not being able to just... Not even, I don't want to even say bite the bullet, but like adjust, you know, like, you know, I think 
the idea that you could, should just run it back, but with Brunson in place of Kemba, is that team better? Sure. But, like, is that... I don't know. Is that... It is eerily, eerily similar to last season saying we're going to run it back with Kemba and Fournier instead of Alfred and Bullock. It's like, it's the same shit, different day, essentially. Like, Brunson is a younger guy, which is different, but he's making a whole lot more money than either of those guys were making, which is amazing considering how much they gave Evan Fournier. It's a little bit different, but it's a similar it's it's a similar uh, approach to your point, right? It's basically the same team, and we're saying, oh, the missing piece is we need interior finishing, so this is going to complete our team. This guy has interior finishing. Let's do everything we can to bring him in, and now all of a sudden, all the pieces will click into place, which I don't think will happen. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like I, I don't know. I, I just I, I the, this draft was like very. It's weird, like because some people are like they didn't they kicked the can down the road, and I. I actually feel like they played a serious hand here. Like, it feels like they actually made... Like, I don't view this as cowardly. Well, it seems like they aggressively... Like, let's not forget, they aggressively tried to get Jaden Ivey. Yeah, like, I think... All week, all night, like, multiple times with multiple teams. I have no idea what they offered, but clearly that was plan A, um, and this is plan B, right? And And, and Jalen Brunson is part of that plan B. Yeah, and I think... like I'll say this... Whatever, it doesn't matter now. I feel confident uh, from what I've heard that I don't think it was a plan A, plan B thing. I think they wanted Ivy, and and I think they wanted to get Brunson. I think they wanted to do mm-hmm. both. Um, so I think Brunson's part of this whatever plan A, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, but, like, the thing is, no matter what that plan is, like, I just don't see how Julius Randle is involved. But how 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 can Jalen Brunson, Jaden Ivey, R.J. Barrett, and Emmanuel quickly be on the same team? Well, if Grimes goes out, I think they can all be on the same team. I think that you would have effectively moved out. I mean, it, it, like I guess what if you see Ivey as a one, that's a problem. But I see him as a combo. I see quickly as a combo. I see Ivey is relatively duplicative with Brunson. Honestly, they have they have I, very different athletic profiles, but. I feel like they kind of accomplish similar things and have deficiencies in similar areas. Kind of, but I I think they're just you're you're betting on a prospect versus like somebody who's more of a developed finished thing. So yeah. your vision for Ivy could be like this is what he is now, but we think he's going to be a pull up shooter that we can unlock X Y Z things. Like I think there's a more of a okay this and I'll say this like I I I, I, I this is not me walking back anything. I wanted Jade and Ivy, no question. Um, I don't think he's going to be good as rookie. Like he's not a guy that to me profiles as like he comes in and I don't think anyone really profiles as yeah. being good as a rookie. It's honestly. very rare that anybody, especially like a guy who is going to have the ball a lot, a guard that's going to have his ball a lot. It is very rare. Those guys come in and they are positively impactful on day one. So I don't think this path for Jaden Ivy is like you just give him the keys and he's ready to go. You know, like not everybody's manual quickly. Um, Which answers an interesting question, though, because if they were willing to really give up a ton of capital, it seems like we have no idea what it was uh, for a draft pick 
that, to your point, would not really be a plus contributor for probably at least a year. It tells you a little bit about how the organization views its timeline to compete. Which it's a longer timeline than I think we think, or yes. what people are like that, and that's kind of why I think they did like they look. If you have confidence like that, I hope that Leon Rose is. He must be James Dolan's best friend because trusting James Dolan like that is pretty wild to me. Um, but like, yeah, like, look, I don't think what they did yesterday was cowardly. I actually think, I mean, they're getting killed for this by Knicks fans, right? Like, Knicks fans are killing them for what they did last night, for the most part, for what I've seen. I, I think, I think there are plenty of other things they could have done that would have been worse, and obviously that's always the case. But like, for example, what would the takes be today if they just kept? 13 and they drafted Duran. It would be all of the, all of these storylines about, Oh, you drafted a center in the lottery. And Oh, what about Mitch? Like what a waste of all these assets, blah, blah, blah. Like that was 100% on the table as an outcome. Yeah. Instead, or like they, decided they didn't like that outcome. Let's keep the assets and not do that. And we haven't even, even brought up Mitch today, but signs well, coming to them bringing him back, which I think is very, Good to see. I'm very happy to see that. Yeah, I think I well, look, look, let's be real. Pistons drafting Duren, um, that that nuked one of the Nick or one of the Mitch, you know, alleged candidates that were out there. I've thought pretty much all along that this idea there was gonna be some like mystery team that came in and bid Mitch up was kind of far fetched. Um, the other one was like randomly I think what was it, like two weeks ago, they were like, oh, Chicago could offer him the full mid-level. And I'm like, okay, so this is what's being leaked out there right now. I have a feeling the Knicks can keep Mitch at a pretty fucking fair price. Uh, if he, this guy is looking for a bit over mid-level money, like that, that'll happen. That's fine. Uh, but like, yeah, like the Knicks have played a lot of arbitrage games and not all of them have paid out, right? Like, or, you know, they lost on the Kemba one. They potentially... They made a weird move yesterday with the 11th pick, so we'll see what happens. But like with Mitch, they made the bet that they didn't want to extend him last year, given the injury and lack of kind of data they had. They bet that he wouldn't play so well that they would have to give him a contract they were uncomfortable with, and it looks like that bet is going to pay off. I agree with you. I'm happy they're probably going to keep him, um, or at least it looks like it, because whatever my issues with Mitch, and I have a lot of issues with Mitch, he's a good player. Like, he's a solid player. He's a solid starting center in the NBA. Is he perfect? No. Does he have shit that drives me crazy? Absolutely. Is he irreplaceable? No. But replacing him isn't easy. Like, it's not easy to just replace the caliber of starting center Mitchell Robinson is. Like, I, I think that's the part that gets lost. And there's an opportunity cost there, right? Like, you just talked about it. If they knew that they weren't going to keep Mitch... Do they draft Duran at 13? Is that a great use of assets? I love Duran. I wouldn't have been fine with that. But like, okay, but not everybody agrees with me, right? Like a lot of people are just anti-centered in the lottery regardless. Which I think is unfair, but but still, I, I wouldn't have been super thrilled personally if that was what they did. Shout out Stacey Patton. Um, <laughs> but like, like oh, and, and if you then have to go out into the free agent market and use, you know, let's say you hadn't cleared the cap space, so you use the mid-level exception, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of opportunity costs not keeping Mitch, whereas all Mitch is costing you is your own money. And the, his cap hold is so cheap, which is effectively, like, why they might have the chance of 
getting Jalen Brunson in and then going over the cap to keep Mitch and staying well under the luxury tax. Like these are considerations that are not exciting for us as fans, but matter a lot to the team and when you're planning out. And so like, you know, I'm, I hate how much of an apologist I do sound like, but like after I, I, I still am not in love with what they did yesterday. It's, very much now like a to be decided because what they did was they added more ingredients to like we can make shit happen down the line but you have to make like at some point saying you can make shit happen isn't like it becomes that point where you're like okay so time to make shit happen and i think this offseason is a time they have to make shit happen that doesn't mean star trade x or whatever i don't think any star is going to be available for them to trade for it you know, like, I, I don't want, I, I'm okay with that. I don't, like, even if, like, uh, as an example, if Zach Levine was available to them, I personally don't think the Knicks should go after him. I'm not a huge Zach Levine fan. I think his defensive issues are underblown. Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, like, I, I, I think that they are a lot worse than gets accounted for. He's a tremendous scorer. I'm not sure what else he does for you. He scores really well. I'm not sure what else he does for you. Um, and I'm not sure how much that player was in you. So, like, I'm not saying they need would to you trade. Him. Would you trade Julius Randle and three first-round picks for Zach Levine? Uh, no, I don't think no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm just not – I'm not a Levine fan. I don't – and I don't like the idea of trading Julius Randle to then give Zach Levine four years, 100 and – 60 million or whatever the fuck he's going to get. Um, like, that's just, it, that's fanciful to me. I don't like that. And I don't, I just like, if you're going to sign one of these guys, at least just sign them with cap space. Don't give out assets to do it. So, like, Brunson, I don't love it, but if you're just giving out cap space to do it, and I guess if you want to say they gave out four seconds, sure, but like, whatever. I, I, if, you get, if you had to give out four seconds to get Zach Levine, sure, do it. Fine. But when you say Randall in three verse versus Randall in four seconds, that's a very different proposition, obviously. Um, I just think, like, they don't need to make a star trade, but they just need to make decisive moves that actually matter. Uh, I don't know. Like, the the Brunson one to me, I don't love it. I could at least respect it pending other moves, right? That's ultimately what it boils down to. And I just feel like they've set themselves up to make other moves, but now we have to okay, show me. Show me you can make the other moves. Because so far, all we've seen them be able to do is an effective job of, like, keeping the asset cupboard whole and actually adding to it in a lot of ways and not compromising their cap situation to an extent, a tremendous degree. And, like, they're very good so far at not committing egregious errors. And... They've drafted pretty well, which is kind of why it was annoying to not draft yet last night until 42. But they've drafted pretty well. So those are not nothing. That's not nothing. As you said, that's an improvement. Well, if, you believe, if you believe that their evaluation of – forget drafting as the word. If the word is evaluation of incoming that, NBA yeah. prospects, then them not selecting at 11 or 13 is also hypothetically a very good move. Yeah, and it's also not even them saying that there's no one there that's worth it. It could easily be based on what the scouts are telling you. Like, look, we don't, for us, we live in this draft, this draft cycle. For NBA teams, they are looking at draft cycles already 
you know what I mean? Like they're already looking at 2023 and 2020. Like they have to plan out way further than we do. And if your scouts are telling you like, you know, look, this draft is okay. We like these guys, but we like, we think in this year's, like we think this draft and that draft will be way better. And if you like, you know, look, we know the protections on these picks are super weird. I can look into them in a second. Um, once I, once I get a chance. Um, but like, if, if you think the Detroit pick is going to convey in 2024, let's say, and they think, and the scouts are telling you that, that, that 2024 draft, that's the one, like there's going to be so many guys that are sick in that. Maybe as a front office, you're like, okay, then we don't need to take one in this draft. We're getting this entire thing. So these, these are the protections, by the way. Uh, 2023 first rounder from Detroit, 1 to 18 protected through 2024. Then it's 1-13 to in 2025, 1-11 to in 2026, 1-9 in 2027. I'm fairly confident that's going to convey in 2025 or 2026, but we'll see. Then the 2023 first is from Washington. That's 1-14 to protected this year, so lottery protected this year. 1-12 in 2024, 1-10 in 2025, 1-8 in 2026. Since Washington exists for the sole purpose of making the 7th or 8th seed, I'm fairly confident this will convey in the next few years. And then obviously the Milwaukee pick is lottery protected. Uh, sorry, not lottery protected. 1 to 4 protected in 2025. And then it conveys into second. All these eventually convey into second so they don't actually turn to first round picks. But I think they've made a calculated bet here that they will turn to first round picks and that will give them value in trade. So you know, I don't know. That That's a lot of shit that just happened here, but Grand scheme of things, I feel like I'm okay with where the Knicks are. I'm okay with what they did yesterday. But I can feel terrible about it tomorrow. Or not tomorrow. Like, 10 days from now, I could feel much worse about what they did. Or I can feel much better about what they did. So what actually happens in free agency is going to be, you know, the ultimate tell on how to feel about what occurred yesterday to some degree. Yeah, there's no way to know the internal thinking on the Randalls and the Roses, etc., etc. Clearly, there is some sort of internal thinking. Um, I guess we just need to see what the plan is there. To the earlier discussion, though, I mean, in a vacuum, judging what happened last night, I think to be to be plus, you know, it's okay, it's good, okay to good, uh, and there are a lot of possible futures where this can be a really disappointing offseason, and there are futures where it can be a very hopeful offseason. I don't really see a slam dunk right now in the headlights, but that's okay. You don't need a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah, you don't need a slam dunk. And, you know, I think, um, like, so much of this is also, we could feel entirely different about this if, they open up minutes for quickly and Obi, specifically those two. And we could say Grimes, we can throw Grimes in the mix. And those guys are as good as we think they are. Because if those guys are as good as we think they are, I will look back on this and be like, wow, this is awesome. We got all these young guys that are producing, and we've got 11 first in the next seven years to trade. Like, it changes everything if those guys hit. And also, like, if RJ Barrett takes the next step, because. Let's be honest. Like I love RJ. I think he's going to be a star. I think that can have. Like I think that's that's still in the cards for him. But like, it all boils down to scoring efficiency for him. Can he bump up his scoring efficiency at usage to be like? I don't think he needs to be a hyper efficient guy, especially not next year. He's not going to be a hyper efficient guy, but you know, 
52 true shooting on super high volume. Don't be don't be like the least efficient guy in basketball again. Basically, yeah. is what we're asking. And and I think I think some of that is where I have a little or not a, I, where I understand the efficiency stuff with him is like he was asked to be. I think his usage at the end of the year was like twenty seven and a half or something, uh, and then. Obviously, after the um, after New Year's, it was basically like twenty nine or thirty something. It was very high. He was burdening a usage load that he does he did not have the overall skill set to do yet, which I think results in kind of deflating his overall efficiency. But what we need to see now is like the path to stardom for most players, is can you score at a certain level of efficiency on volume, right? And so what he needs to do next year is, like, can you get to 54, 55 through shooting? Like, that's not an insane number. That's a very manageable number. And if he does that, like, I think you start to feel very differently about him, and it also opens up a lot of things for the team as a whole. Like, I think how you feel about the entire core of young talent with what that would change um, and, and the organization in general, like, you know, a lot of this stuff just boils down to the guys that we have in-house. How do they develop? And it's on the organization and the front office very specifically to mac- like to put them in position. Yes, that's see. exactly what I was going to say. You need to do everything in your power to maximize the probability that RJ Barrett does that and, and Manuel quickly does this and Quentin Grimes does the other thing. I can see how how Jalen Brunson fits into that, and I can also see clear as day how Julius Randle doesn't fit into that. Just as an example, so let's see. Yeah, it'll be it'll be definitely fun to to take a look at. Um, all right, I mean, I think that is a good place to end it. Unless you have anything else that you wanted to touch on. Um, I'm pretty good. I I, I think there was actually one. Um, little tidbit that I thought was interesting on Brunson. Um, very recently, there was a 25-year-old, six-foot-one point guard that received 20 million or plus a year um, over a four-year period. That basically aligns perfectly with what Jalen Brunson is right now, um, and that was Fred Van Vliet. I think very interesting parallel there. He was 25. He got a four-year contract for $85 million from the Raptors. It's not predictive of what will happen with Brunson, but a pretty similar situation. You know, a guy who's shown he can play pretty well in the playoffs despite his small size. And that contract has worked out very well. He's done nothing but improve since the, the deal. So if you're looking at a parallel for a Brunson contract, that's an interesting one. I know there were a lot of Knicks fans who really wanted to bring in Fred Van Vliet at that money. Uh, I think he would have been a good fit. Um, he's a little bit of a different player, despite the similar size. He's definitely a different player than Brunson, but interesting parallel there. Yeah, I, I, I think that is a good parallel. I I feel like the one thing that I always go back to with uh, the difference to me between Brunson and Van Vliet is I feel like Van Vliet is a better defensive player. He 100% is. Yeah. But then, like, I watched the playoffs this year, 
And forgetting like how good Brunson was, and he was, I think he averaged like 21, 5, and 5 on 55 true shooting in the playoffs, which is like, that's pretty solid. Um, not amazing, but it is solid. Van Vliet was like really bad in the playoffs this year. Uh, to the point that I think Toronto had a positive net rating for the series with him off the floor. Um, and I just wonder, like, if as good as Van Vliet is on defense, or if he, as good as much better as he is on defense than Brunson, and as good he is a good offensive player, but does his offense translate to the playoffs as well as Brunson? I don't know. And also, like, to be fair, this is the first time Brunson... Well, I mean, he, was a, he wasn't an offensive engine, but he was a significant offensive contributor on a team that won the title pretty recently. Fred Van Vliet. He was, but it was a very different role, right? So it was yes. like... It was like a third... I mean, he was basically the fourth option, right? Because it was Kawhi, Kyrie... Or Kyrie, well, <laughs> definitely <Ooh>. not Kyrie. <laughs> Kawhi, <laughs> Lowry, uh, Siakam. And then, you know, they had a bunch of guys that I think were lower usage guys, but Van Vliet being probably the top of that group. Fourth option, very different. By the way, I know I know we were about to wrap up, but what if it's not Brunson? What if it's uh, what if it's Kyrie? If it was Kyrie, I'd be totally out of this front office, man. I would be completely out. Like I, I think like Kyrie is obviously a bet a superior talent to Jalen Brunson, but like that'd be a pretty good team. I, I, I can't. I can't. It didn't can't. work for any of them, but it might work for us. Yeah, I just. It's you can't bet on that guy. He's like, he's fucking deranged. He's insane. He's not dependable. Like you can't make a bet on him. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. Um, but like, like I think there's something to be said of if you the Knicks are still in the hunt for we need to find a first, second, third option type of level of player, right? A more higher usage guy. I think there's something to be said that maybe Brunson is better suited to that specific thing than Fred Van Vliet is. Mm. And maybe for the Knicks, Brunson is a better fit. I struggle with that because I really, I want, I was, I was somebody who wanted them to sign Van Vliet. This is back to the Randall question though. Like, would you rather have a guy that can really efficiently be the third or fourth option and play defense on a championship team? Or would you rather the guy who can pretty efficiently be the first option on a mid team and maybe probably not play defense? It's kind of like the Randall question, honestly, like it, if Jalen Brunson is your offensive engine, how good is your team? So let's finish this. Like we'll, we'll do this real quick. Cause I know you gotta get out of here. What is, um, Do you think Brunson's skill set is portable to a different role? So if you lower his usage and can, like, can he initially we sign him to be the first or second option, right, for the time being until RJ? I think probably. I, I think he's probably a good enough spot up shooter. He's not great at it, but he can move a little bit off the ball. Um, he can do other things. He can obviously attack bent defenses very effectively, considering his finishing ability. So. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe he couldn't scale down. I just I just don't think he's an elite spot-up shooter. I think he's probably better off with the ball in his hands more often than not. I and mean, he played well next to Luka, but he was clearly like the second ball handler, which So here here no. are some stats for you. No, here's here's some stats for you. This is Brunson uh this past season. This was this I I'd have to look this up again, but this is from January 18th. 
Brunson without Luca or Porzingis on the floor at that point in time, 57.4 true shooting, 27.3 usage, 39.6 assist percentage. That's in 439 minutes to date at that point. Mavs with Brunson uh, plus no Luca or KP. Or sorry, yeah, yeah, with no Luca or KP. Uh, also, same thing. So they were a plus 10.5 net rating. 113.4 offensive rating, 102.9 defensive rating. So that's pretty solid. And then if you go back through the last two seasons to that point in time, this is again from January 18th. Maybe I'll update this. Brunson without Luca or Porzingis on the floor. 54.1 EFG, 57.6 true shooting, 26 usage, 33.3 assist percentage. That's in 1,027 minutes. They had a plus 5.1 net rating over that time period. Mm. So like... There is evidence here that Luca obviously makes everybody's life easier, but Brunson is a guy who seems like, like, for at least his himself individually, he seems to be able to maintain or even uptick his scoring and and uptick his usage without affecting his efficiency, which I think is, I mean, that is a very promising indicator oh yeah the uptick is the uptick is not what i'm worried about i think he can be that that relatively efficient engine um i want to see how he can perform as the third or fourth guy yeah for sure if he provides if he provides enough value on the margins in other places is really what i mean like considering he by most accounts is a i don't want to say liability but i'm gonna say it liability on defense right um he doesn't bring you a ton of value on, on the glass either so the offense just has to be really really good which it has been for most of his career yeah 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 he can score i mean he's again we talked about the dicks were dead last and two point percentage last year he would definitely help them in that if if that doesn't mean that they're going to be a fundamentally better team with him but i don't know man i i do think that i think if they get brunson they are firmly like if you told me they got brunson they got rid of rose Burks, Noel, Randall somehow. And effectively, whoever they got back for those guys was nothing. I would not be surprised if that team was in the play-in. It would, be a, it would be a whole lot more fun to watch at the very least. I would just feel better. I don't care about whether this team makes the fifth seed yeah, versus I don't either. seventh seed. I, I, maybe that's dumb, but, you know, a, a Brunson, Quickly, Barrett, Top in Mitch going into this, I would I would be extremely happy with that. I would be very very content. Like I said, I think there's there's a pathway where you get Brunson and you still have avenues and pathways where you think, okay, this team has moves to make to really up the ceiling of the of the of the of the, of the franchise moving forward. So, yeah. um, you know, again, look, like I think if there's anything to take away from this, what was happened yesterday is that. The onus is very, very much on the front office. They have put them. They have ammo. They gotta, you know, they gotta use it now. They gotta use it productively, and they gotta find ways to to move the team forward. So, all right, Derek, thanks a lot for coming on at uh, you know, very much short notice. Uh, let the people know where they can follow you and uh, plug anything you like to plug. This was a real pleasure, Schwinn. Appreciate you thinking of me as always. First off, as always, at the Strickland is where you guys should be. Um, me personally, you can find me at D underscore R-E-I-F, Rife, but you can pronounce it Reef if you like. 
Uh, and then if you like my Knicks stats and analysis, or one of the two at the very least, you can follow me at underscore Analytics, which is, I guess, one of the subsidiary satellites of the Strickland on Twitter. Um, so you can find some some good stats and some visualizations there too. And of course, RJ Barrett stats. We're on, we're on a day seventy six today of one RJ Barrett bucket every day until RJ Barrett plays basketball again. There we go. How many days we have left? <sighs> we got a we got quite a few. Um, probably close to a hundred, if not more. I got to go back to my spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. I have uh, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. I have nothing to plug. I just got. Uh, I guess if you want to watch us react in live time and watch me scream and yell at Tyrese and Prez um, about why I am uninspired by getting Jalen Brunson, which you might be surprised by based on... I mean, people record. come to the Strickland for basketball analysis, but what they stay for is <laughs> Schwinn yelling at Tyrese and Prez. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch that, the, check out the live stream from yesterday that's on YouTube. Uh, check out all the draft content if you want to read up on dudes. That, that we put out at the Strickland uh, and just in general, the pods and everything. So, hope everybody has a great weekend and uh, I'll see everybody on Monday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.